Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world. Before we get in, if you'd find your place in 1 John 3 this morning, 1 John chapter 3, before we get into the message, I, I know that um, in our church there's a, a variety of, of circumstances and situations as far as um, how long and how, how long you've been here, what you know of me, what you know of this church. Uh, throughout the pandemic, the Lord has brought new, many new people our way, and truthfully, pandemic has made it hard for us to get to know each other. I, I'm bringing a message today that is not an easy message to bring, and I just want to be very upfront with that. And so if, if you would, in your heart, you would say, uh, Pastor, you, you are my pastor, you are our pastor, then I hope that you'll listen with an open heart today. Uh, because um, the passage in front of us is not going to be easy for us. And I'm going to have to ask some questions that are hard to answer. And I'm going to have to make some statements that are hard to hear. In some ways, I've got to encourage. In some ways, the passage is going to rebuke us. And I, I, I hope that you will embrace it as God's word, not my word. Would you look with me at 1 John chapter 3? Look at verse 16. Hereby, John says, perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Last week, we began to discuss the importance of love in the body of Christ. The early Christians had heard the gospel of Jesus. They believed Christ was the eternal Son of God who was made in the flesh at the incarnation. They believed the word that was made flesh was the second person of the Trinity. As 1 John chapter 1 told us, they looked on him. They touched him. They heard him. John's gospel in the first chapter in verse 14 said, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh, and he was full of grace and truth. The person that they beheld was full, as John said, of grace and truth. And truth, his message and his manners, his lessons and his life, all of it was full of grace and truth. After 33 years of a sinless life, three of those years was his earthly ministry, Jesus began to prepare his disciples with some final remarks. Jesus does so 
knowing that his death, his resurrection, and his ascension are not very far away. He's going to be leaving his disciples. The truth is, these disciples have seen the hatred of the Pharisees towards Jesus. But Jesus knows that these disciples have seen nothing quite like what they're going to see. The amount of disdain and hatred these disciples will face after Jesus is gone will be anything that they witnessed when they were with Christ. The Jewish leaders hated Jesus. But now the disciples are going to experience that the world will express their hatred to the followers of Jesus in the same way. In his final remarks, Jesus tells the, he tells the, his followers that there's going to be a sign, something given that will give them internal strength for this. For the, for the persecution and the suffering and the hatred that's going to come, they're going to have an internal strength and that will be what John calls in John 14, the comforter in John chapter 14 and verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So the internal sign that was going to give strength that they were followers of Jesus was the Holy Spirit would come. And the Holy Spirit would indwell believers. And then in John 15, Jesus says that his followers, because of the indwelling Spirit, his followers will bear fruit. And he goes on in, verse, in, in chapter 15 of John's Gospel with a very important command. We've heard it. It's the focus of our text today, though. The command that was given by Jesus on his last evening with the disciples was to love one another. To love one another. With the internal strength of the Spirit, the disciples were able to bind together in love. Something that you and I would have questioned if we could have walked with the disciples in their days with Jesus. We could have walked from town to town to village to village and we would have learned and realized that it was Jesus that kept them bound together. It was Jesus who kept them from fighting and rivalries and, and hating one another and having conflicts amongst each other. But when Jesus was gone, it was going to be the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in them that would bind them together and the Holy Spirit would give them a renewed passion to love one another. To love one another. Now listen very carefully. These disciples, they had seen Jesus in the garden, praying. They saw him arrested. But from them, the disciples disappear all but one. All but one. It was John the Apostle. The, one, the man who humanly is the author of the book of 1 John, which we're studying. It was John who was at the cross when Jesus was crucified. It was John who saw our Savior on the cross. It was John who witnessed our Savior coming off the cross. It was John who saw Jesus be buried. And that first resurrection morning, it was John who went to the tomb with Peter who witnessed an empty tomb. Who not long after witnessed the resurrected Christ. It was John who saw Jesus die, be buried, and be risen again. 
Now we need to understand that this is important because a fresh awareness of the crucified and risen Christ through the Holy Spirit, a fresh awareness of the crucified and risen Christ through the Holy Spirit will enable Jesus' followers to love one another. It was John, the disciple who saw all of that with with Jesus. It was John who penned his final words of love one another. It is that John who gives us the same words here in his epistle of 1 John. Love one another. The following story is told by the 4th century theologian, a man named Jerome. He, wrote, he told this story in his commentary in the book of Galatians, and I think you'll find it to be unbelievably fascinating. Jerome said this. He said, The blessed John the Evangelist lived in Ephesus until an extremely old age. His disciples, John's disciples, could barely carry him to church. And he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, John usually said nothing except these words. Little children, love one another. The disciples and the brothers in attendance would often find themselves annoyed because John would say the same thing over and over and over. Love one another. Love one another. One day, somebody finally looked at him and said, Teacher, why do you always say this? John, the oldest living apostle, replied with a line that is totally worthy of John when he would looked and said, Because it is the Lord's commandment. And if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. It is sufficient. John's words to Christians at a very old age, having to be carried into church, was that they would love one another. Last week, we learned that love for one another is evidence of eternal life in us. While hatred in our hearts might be evidence that we are still abiding in the realm of spiritual darkness and death. Today we see that John tells us how love towards one another looks. Many of us mistakenly believe that the absence of hate means the presence of love. But try saying that to your spouse or your child tomorrow. Have a great day. I don't hate you. Of course, we know that that is absurd. John tells us it's the same in our Christian life. We, we are commanded to love one another in a way that imitates Jesus while we are being fueled by His Spirit. We are commanded to love one another. Christians love one another. I want to give you three statements this morning from this passage in 1 John 3. Three statements. I want you to Stay with me the best you can this morning. Number one, Jesus imitated love sacrifices. And a love that is imitated, love of Christ that is imitated by, from Christ, sacrifices. Notice in 1 John 3 and verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life 
for us. Now there's a lot to unpack in such a brief statement. John, John who viewed himself as a disciple whom Jesus loved, as well as the disciple who saw Jesus lay down his life. John saw it. He witnessed it happening. He says, this is how we perceive the love of God. He said, this, this friends, this is where you come to know the love of God, and that is he laid down his life for us. Jesus imitated love sacrifices. John makes clear for us that the essence of love is self-sacrifice. And this has been perfectly shown in Christ. Now, if you remember last week, Cain hated his brother and murdered him. It would be right and appropriate for us to understand that hate is a negative and is against, it's always against a person for their harm. But John, but John is teaching us here that love is positive and is always for a person's good, even to the point of self-sacrifice. That's why John says that it was in his laying down of his life that Jesus showed us what love is. Jesus freely gave up what was most valuable, his, which is his life, to express love to us. Think about it like this. Cain hated and took Abel's life. Jesus loved and gave his life. That's, that's the juxtaposition. Cain hated and took Abel's life, but Jesus loved and gave his life. And so at the root of love is absolutely not selfishness, but self-sacrifice. And nobody has embodied this like Jesus. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says, God showed you, God showed you love while you were a sinner. Jesus died for you. Christ died for us. He showed his love in that. But we need to understand why this is foundational to the Christian life. We need to understand why. Listen very carefully. The love of God is not just supposed to be admired. It's supposed to be copied. If I preach to you today an entire message telling you how much God loves you, and there is a place for that, obviously, you would leave here in awe and, and admiring God's love for you. But John says, the Christian life that is lived biblically, we move from simply admiring God's love to copying God's love. That's what he says in verse 16 of chapter 3. He says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. And he goes on, he doesn't stop there, he says, And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And we ought to lay down our lives. We love the first part. We perceive God's love by the cross. But John says, we are to copy that love to one another. We ought to do this. John says, 
This is evidence of the life of Jesus inside us working its way out. It's the activation of transforming the transforming work of grace. It's the accomplishment of the gospel in our hearts that you and I, you and I, people that can often be selfish and self-centered and consumed with our own life and schedule, that we would lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Well, Peter said, the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 2, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that we should follow his steps. This is, this is what we're called to. I can't shy away from calling us as a church. As a pastor of this church, I can't shy away from saying to all of us, we are called to copy the love of God to one another. Truthfully, the natural course of relationships, listen, don't miss this, the natural course of relationships that are not aligned, not, that are not realigned, is over time relationships become lazy in showing love. I have to ask our church family, I have to ask Christians, over your Christian life, and the longer you've been a part of this church, are we getting lazy in loving one another? Are we getting lazy in it? Or has this become an important part of your Christian life? I mean, so important. If, you, if, if John was here and he said, love one another, love one another, love one another, he told you, this is, if this command by Jesus alone is obeyed, it's enough. If, that, if this command is to be that high, then I would recommend for every Christian, this is a priority of each of our day. That we would follow our Savior in showing love to a brother or sister in Christ. It's not a command that we can only obey on Sunday. If it's that important, we can't just love one another in church like this, in a service... If this is that serious of a command, we need to see its priority of every part of our day. And if John was here with us, he might point his old crooked finger towards us and say, Hey you, love that person. Love one another. The problem is, for most of us, the problem for most of us is we have bought in to the cultural outrage that we cannot love if they're not on our side of a specific issue or narrative. But it's not just culture in general. It's church culture. Church cultures that have said, if you're not doing everything the way that I expect you to do it, then I'm not going to give you love. But hear me very carefully. This is not what John is saying. John does not caveat this with anything else. He does not say, if they cross their, their T's and dot their I's the same way you do, then love one another. If they parent their kids like you expect them to parent your, their kids, then you can love them. That John doesn't give anything else other than to say, you are to copy God's love to your brothers and sisters. Truthfully, truthfully, listen very carefully, if everybody did things the way that I wanted them to do them, then 
My love would never need sacrifice. My love would never need sacrifice. If I expected everybody in this room to do all the things that I think you should do, then I would never have to sacrifice in my love. But a church is not a place where we are all doing everything the same way. No, a church is a place where to love one another means I'm laying down something that matters to me and choosing to love you. Honestly, we have to ask ourselves, how are we sacrificing in our love? Money, time, possession, preference? See, the truth is, New Testament Christianity is very hard. It's very hard. New Testament Christianity is difficult. If all you did was start with this one command, love one another, I promise you, if you were intellectually honest about it, you would say, this is a hard command. Because sometimes I don't want to love somebody else the way I ought to. John says, you admire how Jesus laid down his life for you. You admire God's love in Christ on the cross. Can't you copy that love to your brothers and sisters? Well, this leads us forward. And if you think it's going to get easier, I'm sorry. It's going to get harder. Number two, Jesus imitated love gives lesser things. I put lesser in quotes. Because we think that there's lesser things. And here's what I mean by that. In the literal laying down of his life, Jesus gives us what a pattern of sacrifice looks like. But not all of us are going to be called to lay down our physical lives to that extent. Now in the first century, it happened a lot. In 2021 in the United States of America, it may not happen anywhere near what happened in John's day. But John says, if you want to see what love looks like, you need to look at the cross. And you need to go copy that. But then he goes on and says this in verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? You see what John is asking? Let me explain. The gospel produces in us a love that is willing to surrender what has value in my life so that I can add value to the life of another. Let me say that again. The gospel produces in me a love that is willing to surrender what has value to me so that I can add value to the life of another. And I'm curious if you notice what John said here. And I'm curious if you notice the language of the passage. In verse 16, John said, We're to lay down our lives for the brethren, plural. But in verse 17, he says, and seeth his brother. He goes from plural to singular. He goes from people to person. See, we all love the idea of the group. But John says, no, 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 no. I'm talking when you see a specific situation. People often say, I love my church. I love my church. The question is actually not, do you love your church? The question is, do you love that person in your church? 
Do you love that person in your church? We can all agree on the general. We struggle when it becomes specific. John says here in verse 17, a person that has the means sees a need. And that person will not open up his bowels, his heart. The depth of compassion is what John is saying. If he will not open up his bowels of compassion, how is God's love in him? How? You have the means to meet a need. You see the need. And you choose to not meet the need. John says, wait a minute. How is God's love in you? Galatians 6.10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity. Friends, listen, please, stay with me. We are to be looking to do good to those who are in our spiritual family. Are you aware of the needs of anyone in this church? Are you? John's point is direct. If you have the means, you see the need that your brother or sister has, and you choose to close up and shut down any compassion to the need, how in the world, he says, is this remotely close to the love of God? How is God's love in you if you can see a need and you could have met it, but you choose not to? I'm pretty convinced, listen very carefully please, I'm pretty convinced that we are so wrapped up in the idea of church and at the idea of going to a church service that we lack any concept of a spiritual family where we're looking to meet the practical needs of people. In your family and in my family, I look to meet needs. My son comes to me and says, Dad, I no longer fit in these size 8 pants. I'm a size 10. And I have the means to buy him a size 10. And I say, sorry, bro, you're going to have to wear eights the rest of your life. You'd say, what kind of a dad are you? John says, apply that now to your spiritual family. You're aware of a need. You see a need. The Holy Spirit might put a need on your heart. You have the means by which, whatever the need is, doesn't always mean money, but you have the means to meet the need, and you choose not to. John's question is pointed. How is the love of God in you? Honestly, friends, the New Testament church in John's day looks so polar opposite to what we experience today. There was a commonality with possessions. It, means, it doesn't mean that Peter's house was John's house, but it does mean, listen very carefully, it does mean that life was so integrated that if John was in need, Peter would open up his life. You see that in the book of Acts. They, they had all things in common. There's a need here. We're selling property to meet a need. We're doing this to meet a need. And I think, I think American Christianity is rather anemic because we've lost the ability to see the church as a spiritual family where we're all conscious of what each other's needs are and we're looking to meet them. Let me just say, this is one of the reasons why I refuse to be a pastor. I refuse to be a pastor 
who stands up here and beats people up for not giving. I'm not going to do it on a weekly basis. It's it, In some ways, it's like telling my 14-year-old every day to brush her teeth. I'm not going to do it, right? At some point, you're going to have to own this. Can I just say this? At some point, Christians have to see the need for the gospel to go around the world. They have to see the need for the importance of the local church. And they have to decide to participate financially in that work. If you know there's a need for the gospel to go out, you know there's a need to have a a, a ministry, if you know there's a need and you're aware of the need in front of all of us and we choose to not participate, John says, how is the love of God in us? So, but here's the other part. I told you, some of these things are going to be hard to hear and say. I want to ask you, do you see the need around you with people? Give me, please don't be offended what I'm about to say. If you are here this morning and you are unaware of the needs of anybody in this church, there are a couple options, there are a couple reasons why. One, you may just not have had the chance to meet anybody. And that's fair. Two, you have made the conscious choice to not engage with your spiritual family. It's one of the two. You may not know. You may not have engaged with people because you haven't had a chance. Or two, you've chosen not to. And if you're never aware of a need in your spiritual family, are you not engaging in the family? And if we see a need, if you see a need here from a person and God has enabled you to meet it, please, by all means, do so. John says this is evidence of God's love in us. Notice Paul's words in Romans chapter 12. He said, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing, notice these words, distributing to the necessity of, of saints, given to hospitality. Those last two commands, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Friends, we're all called to those two commands. To look for needs, to be aware of them. And if we have the means to meet it, we meet it. To be given a hospitality, to open up our homes, our lives, our, our, our very, our very uh, time, schedule, everything. Open it up to people so that we can participate in their life. John says, this is how you know the love of God is in you. This is how you know if you're copying this kind of love. Number three, I got to hurry. Jesus imitated love acts. It acts. Notice verse 18. He said, my little children... Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let us not just talk about our love. Let us not just talk about it. Let us act out our love. To love in truth and in action is what Christians need towards other Christians. There needs to be a love that is lived. And John says it's in deed and in truth. He's simply saying there... It's genuine in its love. 
and it's shown. We all know that words can be empty and actions can be hypocritical. But when it comes to our love, God desires it to be pure-motived, indeed, visible to our brothers, and it's in truth. It is to be pure. This is to be our love for one another. He says, I don't want to hear about it. Don't talk about it. Show it and make sure that it's authentic. Galatians 5.13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. By love, serve one another. Now, I'm going to take all this to my final comments here, and I want you to just, if you will, give me an undivided attention for the next few moments. The late John Stott summarized our passage from last week and this week, and listen very carefully. He says, this is how he summarizes what we've heard last Sunday and today. Hatred characterizes the world. Unbelieving world whose prototype is Cain. It originates in the devil, it issues in murder, and is evidence of spiritual death. But love characterizes the church. Love characterizes the church, whose prototype is Christ. It originates in God, it issues in self-sacrifice, and is evidence of eternal life. What we have to understand is that the gospel of Jesus Christ creates a new community. It creates a new community. Where all over this community, there's a bunch of people trying to constantly sacrifice their lifetime schedule money, you name it, for the good of another Christian. If the gospel is not making us a new community, listen very carefully, then it might just be that we're playing church. It might just be that we're playing church. And I get it. I get it. You might be here today and you think that you're commanded to attend a service. So you came with your Bibles. You picked out your best outfit. You came ready to sing some songs. Give your offering. To go home for brunch, lunch, or Bears football. Listen very carefully. What I just described is not New Testament Christianity. I know that I'll always be an outlier when I talk like this because this is what American Christianity has told us it is. Go to a service, sit and listen, and go home. But that isn't the New Testament church. Everybody in this room is free. You're free to slip in and slip out because all are welcome here. But if you want to be obedient to Jesus and the apostles' teaching, you may need to get here a little earlier. You may need to stay a little longer. You may need to talk to some people. You might need to attend a a small group or a Zoom group. You might want to try to get coffee with another Christian this week. You might want to let someone get involved in your life, and you might want to do the same. Because listen very carefully. You cannot... Simply love one another by attending a service. You can't. You say, well, I think I can love one another. 
by my time here on Sunday. I waved at people. I smiled. I was singing. Try telling that to your spouse. I live in the house. I eat the food. I wave goodbye at you every morning. So you should be absolutely convinced of my love. I know it sounds silly. Hear me, listen very carefully. I'm not trying to be unkind or sarcastic this morning. I mean this. I'm trying to be a pastor to tell his church family, my brothers and sisters, that I'm afraid we've been playing church way too long. We dip in, we dip out. God forbid anybody talk to us. God forbid anybody ask anything of us. God forbid anybody ask us to serve. We sing some songs, if we can make it. By the way, you can't love one another online. You can't love one another online. You're going to have to, if you're going to, if you're going to be obedient to this command, this primary command of Jesus, you're going to have to find yourself engaged in the church family. And yes, your life might get a little more complicated. Your schedule might get a little bit busier. You might find yourself spending money where you wouldn't spend money, but you have the opportunity to be obedient to the command of Jesus to love one another. I like what Ray Ortland said. He said, Jesus did not die and rise again to create a religious version of what already exists. The church is a new kind of community. This place shouldn't look like your clock-in, clock-out work environment. It shouldn't look like that. Where people are trying to one-up and move up and, and take this promotion, take this promotion. No, this is a place where the Christians are to sacrifice we're to sacrifice what I want, what I need, what I think. I could sacrifice political views. I could sacrifice social. I, I could sacrifice all of that if it means I love one another. It's not a popular message, but it's John's message. And it's lacking in the church because we have covered everything else. For 39 years I've been in church. For 39 years I've been a part of gospel preaching churches. And I've heard every other message. And I've heard very few messages on love your brothers. And the American church is showing it as we bite and devour one another. Showing it. Friends, listen. As, as, as a pastor in this church, I stand here and I say, we Cannot be that people. We're to love one another. If we see a need, we fight like crazy to meet it. We don't just love in, deed, in word. We don't just talk about it. This message is to be lived. So let me ask three questions. One, in what, sacrifice, what sacrificial ways are you actively showing love to another Christian? In what ways? Are you actively showing love to another Christian? Right now. Can you think of anything that you sacrificed in the last seven days for a Christian? You'll say, well, I sacrificed to come here today. Sadly, that's actually what we think. Number two, where is your love inside this family being acted out? And I understand there's people in this church that may not consider this to be their spiritual family yet. But those of you that do, where is your love inside this family being acted out? Listen very carefully. I'm going to be very direct. Are you teaching anyone? Are you feeding? Clothing? Paying a bill? Praying with somebody at the very least? I mean, if, 
why is it, listen, why is it that when, when we're fighting to find people to serve kids? Why? Do you have the time available? Then you have, you have what's needed. Then you can act on the need and meet it. It doesn't just mean children's ministry. It means every possible opportunity that this church might provide. If there's a need and you can meet it, John says, you choose to go, someone else will do it. How does the love of God in that? This is where it becomes a sacrificial, I want to love my brothers and sisters. Would we all agree that the the three-year-olds through the sixth graders that are downstairs today are our brothers and sisters? Could we agree with that? I don't mean to leave out the babies. Can we agree that the kids in the nursery? I'm, I'm being honest. I'm afraid that we have gotten lazy in our Christian life. We hear a need and we go, someone else will do it. I like how Matt Chandler said it recently. He said, and I'm summarizing his message. He said, it's almost like we think love one another just means don't be a jerk. I mean, honestly, right? Like, like, that's the new goal, for none of us to be jerks. What if it looked polar opposite? What if we didn't try to not be a jerk? What if we tried to actively love one another? How different would this be? Number three, oftentimes the most Christ-like thing we can do is to meet the need of another person. Why is that? Well, if you remember, John said that if you have the ability to meet the need and you see the need, don't turn away. Because Jesus Christ saw our need. He was the only one able to actually meet that need. And he didn't turn away from us. Imagine where we would all be today had Jesus seen the need and turned away. So one of the most Christ-like things you can do is you see a need and you go meet it. He ran towards us in extravagant generosity and compassion. This should be us to one another. Uh, let me just listen very carefully. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close. This morning, at about 10 minutes to 9, I was in my office just kind of getting my notes and my Bible together, and my phone buzzed. Typically, I would ignore it, but it was from Tom Goldman. 8.50, he said in a very, very faint voice, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know I don't have the energy to come to church today. I don't have the energy to come to church today. He said, and I just wanted you to know that I couldn't come. And I said, well, Tom, I, I thank you for calling me, but man, you know, you didn't have to do that. I said, I hope you feel better. And here's what 89-year-old Tom Goldman, who's dying very rapidly, unfortunately, of cancer. Here's what he said. Pastor, would you tell the church family that I love them? And I sat there at my desk and I thought, that's the message. You think being a Christian for 60 plus years, Tom Goldman has every reason to be jaded, irritated, frustrated, and bothered with the body of Christ. He's been hurt, mistreated, talked about, you name it. But at 89, his heart is, I love my brothers and sisters. If you could imagine John, the apostle, being carried through our church family right now. Imagine this old disciple the one who saw our Savior teach, do miracles, pray, the one who is present with Mary at the cross, the one who saw our risen Lord. Imagine him look you in the eyes. Listen, imagine it. 
And he says to you, love one another. This is what Jesus wants. This is what Jesus wants. Love one another. I say to our church family, let us not talk about it anymore. Let us actually do it. Let us do it. This is what Jesus wants. This is what Jesus calls us to. Please don't pray that we'll be a loving church. Pray that you will be a loving person. We can all own that, right? I don't want this to be a friendly church. I want it to be a place of friends. That's how a new community is created. If it's just to be a loving church, then, anybody, then, then somebody else will do it. But if I'm to love, then it's me. I get to act. How can you love one another? How? Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin.